If you could grab that Bible and open it up to the book of James, James chapter 1, that's where we will eventually be, along with a couple other spots in the Word of God. But I want to encourage you to get your Bible open. Here's why it's important. Now, everybody listen to this for just a moment, if you would. Here's why it's important to have the Word of God open in front of you. How else will you know if what I am saying is true? You must have the Word of God in front of you for anybody that's preaching so that you can help accurately divide it. In other words, that you can study it and learn it and know it for yourself. Because if today... Saturday evening or tomorrow, Sunday morning, if that's the only time that you're opening the Bible, you are missing out on life. You're missing out on what the Word of God can do in you and for you. It is living and active. It is a two-edged sword. It will bring you life. So I want to encourage you, get in the habit of bringing your Bible to church. And if you don't have your Bible, there's one right in front of you, James chapter 1. And what we are working through, what we are working toward is to get all of us to lay to heart what is going to happen after we die. I know that seems kind of morbid beginning a sermon, but I want you to think of that for a moment. I really truly want every single person who is listening to this think for a moment. When you take your last breath, and it will happen... When you take your final breath, where will you be for eternity? Now, you might as well think about that. Even if you don't want to think about it very much, at least just begin to think about it. And let's see what God will say to you. Let's see what these sermons might say to you. I think they could be pretty encouraging. We began a few weeks ago in this crowned series looking at the imperishable crown. goes by another name called the victor's crown. And that is a crown that if you are a believer in Jesus and you battle in the power that he gives you to bring your body under control, bring your desires under control, that is a crown that you will receive from Jesus, your Lord and Savior. And then we saw last week the crown of rejoicing, and the crown of rejoicing is given to those believers who faithfully share the good news of salvation with unbelievers, those who make friends for eternity. I mean, I want you to think about something. Just imagine this for a moment. Imagine telling someone who does not know Jesus about how they can know Jesus, how Jesus died on the cross for them to forgive their sins. And they pray, and they ask for that forgiveness, and they go to heaven for eternity. You will have made a friend. There will be millions and millions of years into eternity, and you will still be talking about that time that you shared with them the good news of Jesus. And they will still be thanking you. Well, the crown of rejoicing is given to those who faithfully share the good news. Today, what we're going to look at is the third crown in this series. There's five of them all together. It's the crown of life. And like each of the crowns, it is a reward of grace. It is a reward of grace. But what does that actually mean, that you're given this crown by grace? 
Well, actually, what I'm about to tell you in one sentence is the most important part of this sermon to begin with. And here it is. Anything that you ever do to please God is the evidence of his grace at work in you. Now, are you listening to that? This is so important. If God is going to be pleased with you, if you are going to live in a way that pleases God, it is an evidence that his grace was at work in you, that it is at work in you, because you and I naturally cannot please God. We cannot naturally please God. If he does not work in us by his grace, we cannot please him. Now let me bring you to the word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I, listen to this, I worked harder than any of them, than any of the other apostles. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So here we've got Paul, the great apostle. He's telling us about a relationship between God's grace and our effort. He's not talking about trying to earn your salvation. That's always undeserved. That's always unearned. It's always a free gift from God. What Paul is talking about is he's describing the kind of life that your salvation will produce. It will produce a life where you work hard for the glory of God. He said, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Well, let me make it super clear. Here's what Paul said. God's grace was unleashed in his heart, not your blood-pumping organ, the biblical view of the heart, the center of who you are, God's grace detonated in there. And that grace began to give Paul the want to, to do what he ought to, began to change Paul's desires so that Paul wanted more than anything to please God, to live for God, to bring honor to God, to love God and to love people around him. This is the effect of grace when it unleashes in your heart. So Christian, you're the only one that's been the recipient of, a gr of grace. If you're not a Christian, you have not yet received it. I hope and pray that you do. But Christian, God has given you gifts. Do you know that? God has given you abilities. He's given you your health. He's given you your personality, your possessions, your passions. Paul is saying, harness, take all of those, and with all of your effort and faithfulness, serve God faithfully. Now listen, and you will be rewarded. I don't know anybody that doesn't want a reward. I don't know anybody that would say no to a reward. But how does this work? So let me give you an analogy. You ready? Here we go. You are unemployed. Let me just pretend for a moment. You are unemployed. You don't have a job. And you've never had a job that is steady. You've never had a career before. You just do a little bit of work here and there to get enough money to live by. Whenever you need a little more money, you pick up a short-term job, and then you're back out of work. Now think about this. An owner 
of a successful company meets you, hears your story, and on the spot offers you a job. And he invites you to work for him. But you tell this guy, I don't have any job skills. I don't have really any experience. And he says to you, well, if you work for me, I will teach you everything you're going to need to know. So guess what? You're curious. And you're interested. And you say yes. Well, you begin to work for this owner. He makes you his employee. He gives you a steady paycheck. He meets with you every single day to encourage you. To get, he even gives you an office next to him. He provides your training personally. He takes a personal interest in you and all that's required from you. This is all you've got to do. You've got to show up for work and work. And so you listen and you learn and you do what your boss asks you to do. And as you learn and as you grow and as you faithfully do your job, your boss begins to increase your responsibilities when you're ready for them. And then he begins to reward you with promotions and bonuses. And before long, you're earning more than you ever have earned before. You're earning a steady paycheck. You're able to do things you've never been able to do, get things you've never been able to get. You work to honor him. You work to please him. You work to say thank you to him. He took a risk on you. You weren't deserving it. You were an unemployed person chronically, and he gave you a job. Now, you ready? Watch this. You spend your entire career working for that owner who showed that kindness to you. And you get to the end of your career, and the owner, listen, the owner gives a retirement party for you. And during that retirement party, he asks you to come up in front of all of your coworkers and share a few words. And you get up there and there's a microphone and you're nervous, you're anxious, you don't like speaking in front of people, but your heart is so full of gratitude and love for your owner who took a risk on you. All of that honor, it's directed toward one person. Your entire speech honors and thanks the one who is responsible for your career. You don't even think to bring honor to yourself. You don't even think to bring your accomplishments and your achievements. It's unthinkable to glorify yourself. There's no doubt in you that you deserved none of what that man gave you. And without his kindness taking a chance on you, your life would have turned out very differently and not nearly this satisfying. Now I want you to take that analogy and watch as I take you into the future. I'm taking you into a future scene that will unfold in heaven. And it goes like this from the book of Revelation. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed 
and were created. So we've got this scene that's going to happen in heaven. If you're a believer in Jesus called the redeemed, you will be there for this. For the 24 elders very likely represent all Christians at all times, all of the believers in heaven. And they take their crowns, their stephanos, that's the Greek word for crowns, and they throw them down before God. Now what is actually happening? Let me show you what's happening. Are you ready? In the old days, back when there were kings and kingdoms, there was a ceremony where a conquered king who was left alive by the grace of the conquering king would appear before the throne of that king, the victorious king, and he would take his crown off and he would lay it down at the feet of the victorious king and he would honor him and give him all authority there was. It was a sign of surrender. You see, to take your crown off of your head and throw it at the feet of one greater than you it's a sign and an admission that all authority, all honor belongs to the one on the throne. The elders in this scene in heaven are declaring that all of their rewards, all of them were achieved by the grace of God and they were done for his glory, which is far superior to theirs. You see, with the word whenever, do you see it in that text, in that verse? The word whenever, it's in a Greek tense that indicates it's going to be an ongoing part of our worship in heaven. There will be time after time where all of a sudden these heavenly beings, they shout out again, glory to the one on the throne. And yet again, yet again, yet again, yet again, you will take your crown and you will take it off and you will lay it at the feet of the one on the throne and again and again and and again and again, you will be saying all glory to him, all authority to him, all honor to him who is on the throne. I don't want any of it. Now, Christian, can you hear me? Any crown or reward that you are given by Jesus Christ, listen, it will be yours for eternity, and you will continually, as an act of worship, over and over and over, cast them down before God in honor and praise. Now let me get your, you, let me get your spiritual appetite whetted. Let me get you thirsty for these crowns. Kent Hughes, one of my favorite commentaries writers, says this, on that day... This is in heaven. When we see him as he is, when we are awed by the living creatures, but most of all by the one who sits on the throne, we will wish, we will wish we had more to cast at his feet. We will wish we could have suffered more for him, sacrificed more for him, resisted greater temptations than the ones we gave into. We will wish we had fought more for him, wish we had overcome more for him, and wish we had more with which to praise him. See, we will praise God with our crowns. 
and we will praise God with our lips. Look at the very next verse. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now that phrase, Lord and God, is about to connect us straight to the crown of life, which is the crown that we're about to look at. What is the crown of life? You see, John, the apostle, wrote the book of Revelation, and his readers knew that this title, our Lord and God, was actually the official title Rome was forcing its people to say of their emperor Domitian. Here's how it worked. Now watch this. Imagine this. You're alive in A.D. 80. Are you listening? I'm going to show you how this worked. And you're living in a little city somewhere in the Roman Empire. And all of a sudden, a Roman official with a great entourage comes into your city. And one by one, every single person in that city was, will be called, including you, to stand before a painting of the emperor. This is truth, by the way. This is history. And in front of that painting, which was hung on a wall, was a brazier. That means a pot of burning coals. And next to that brazier was a bowl of incense powder. And you were required to stand before that painting of Emperor Domitian and take a pinch of incense with your fingers and dangle it over the brazier of live coals and sprinkle that in there so that it would emit a fragrant cloud. And while you were doing that, you needed to proclaim that Emperor Domitian, Domitian is our Lord and God. Now listen, you're a Christian. There is only one Lord in God for you. His name is Jesus Christ. And you will not worship a king of Rome. I'm going to tell you what would happen. You will be put to death. And there were scores of Christians in the early church brought before the brazier, brought before the incense, brought before the painting of the emperor, commanded to give him fealty and worship and adulations to the Lord and God of Rome, and they would not do it, and scores of believers were put to death. What would you do? I really want you to think about that. What would you do? But what does that have to do with the crown of life? Well, you encounter the crown of life twice in the word of God. Once in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, it goes like this. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The only other place you're going to find it in the Word of God is James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So what is the crown of life? 
It's a crown that Jesus will give to those whose faith in him as their Lord and God endures even to the point of death because we love Jesus more than life. Now, this is a really good question for you to contemplate. Would you do that? I mean, come on. You don't come to church to leave the same way, right? You want to reflect, don't you? Don't you want to think? Don't you want your life to be continually improving and your character to be continually getting better and to become more like Jesus? Well, that means you've got to do something with these sermons. You've got to think. You've got to reflect. Let me ask you again. Do you love Jesus more than life? Now, I would, I would caution you to be too, not too quick to answer that. Because I'm going to break it down a little bit for you. Do you love Jesus more than popularity? Do you love Jesus more than security? Do you love Jesus more than beauty? Do you love Jesus more than your children? Do you love Jesus more than yourself? See, that question starts to take on some life. If you want the crown of life to be given to you, James says it will be given to those who remain steadfast under trial. Blessed are those who remain steadfast. The blessing that they receive is the crown of life. For anyone who in, uh, in eternity that sees you wearing this crown will come up to you forever and they will have the opportunity to ask you, how did you love Jesus more than life? How did you remain steadfast through every trial? Peter, who knew about suffering, of whom tradition said was crucified upside down. Did you know that? Peter, Peter was crucified upside down, according to tradition. He wrote to encourage the suffering church. He wrote this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him. Be the dominion forever and ever Amen. Now look at James 1.12 again. You see it on that screen? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now let me give you a little bit of background. Do you see that word trial? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Everybody listen to this. It's super simple. The word trial means put to the proof. It means put to the proof. And when you look at trials from God's perspective, they look very different than they do from the devil's perspective. In God's hands, trials are always tests. And always, without fail, he allows his people to prove their faith and love for him to be genuine when they are steadfast. See, if you're in a trial, God's 
perspective, God's purpose for that trial in your life is to prove your faith genuine. But that's not what it means by the devil's hands. In the devil's hands, trials are temptations. And he always wants you to fail. He always wants to prove your faith and your love for God a sham. So a trial or a storm or a tribulation or persecution or difficulty in your life is meant, Christian brother and sister, to prove your faith real. But when a trial comes from the hands of the devil, he wants to prove your faith a failure. If you are to receive the crown of life, then you and I must learn to trust God in every trial and be faithful to Jesus, even to the point of death, loving him more than life. Clinging to him, refusing to back down in our Christian faith, staying faithful by his grace and in his power to the end. You see, life is hard. We all know that. I mean, who can possibly say life is easy? It is full of storms. It's full of trials. And it's in the difficulty that we want to doubt God. We want to turn against God. You know, there might be a time when you lose your job because of your Christian testimony. There's probably going to be a time where you're going to lose a friend because you love Jesus. There might come a time, friends, when your life is at stake because you refuse to recant of your faith. It's then, it's in that moment of your trial that your trust and your love for God will be put to the proof and you remember that the crown of life will be given. James 1, who, the one who remained steadfast under trial stood the test and those who love Jesus. Do you want to meet two people who are going to receive the crown of life? Do you want to hear about them? I'll introduce you to them. It's the year 304 AD. The emperor on the throne of Rome was a guy named Diocletian. He was a ruler who raged against the church, hated the Christians. He kept putting them to torture and to death all over the Roman Empire. Within that empire was a church leader named Timothy and his wife, Mora. These are real people. They'd been married just over three weeks when Diocletian's rage and persecution came from them. Timothy, a leader in the church, he was a deacon. He was known for his love for God's word. So Arianus, the governor, commanded him to show loyalty to the governor, to the, rather to the emperor, by taking his scrolls of scripture. They were in scroll form then. The printing press wasn't invented until centuries later. They had scrolls of scripture, and the governor, Arianus, commanded Timothy to burn his scrolls. Timothy responded, I'm quoting him, this is history, quote, had I children, I would sooner deliver them up to be sacrificed than part with the word of God. Wow. 
That sounds so strange to our modern ears that he could say he loved God's word more than even his children if he had them. Arianus was enraged. He went into his wrathful stage and he ordered that Timothy's eyes would be put out with red hot irons saying the books shall at least be useless to you for you shall never see them to read them. And they did. But Timothy endured in his suffering so well that the governor grew, if possible, even more angry. He ordered him to be hung up by his feet with a weight tied around his neck and a gag in his mouth. And then Mora, his wife of three weeks, was allowed to come into him in the midst of his torture and seeing his suffering like any wife would likely do, she urged him tenderly to recant turn away from Jesus. Arianus thought that's all it would take. He gave the order to remove the gag to the still hanging upside down Timothy, but instead of forsaking Jesus Christ, Timothy turned to his wife and encouraged her, declared his resolution of dying for his Lord and his God. It so powerfully affected Mora that she resolved to imitate his courage and his faithfulness with a willingness to either accompany or follow Timothy into glory. So the governor, Arianus, ordered her to be tortured, and he did it with great severity. And afterward, both husband and wife, side by side, were hung up on crosses and crucified until they died. Now I want you to hear this. There's going to be a day in the future. There will be a day when Jesus Christ will gather every single human being that has ever lived. Human history has come to a close and he will bring them all before his great white throne. He will separate all of those who forsook and rejected and would not believe on him. He will put them on the left and he will take all of the redeemed, all of those who believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. He will put them on the right and he will begin with his people and one by one he will call Call them up to his throne for their rewards. And you may be there to see and hear Jesus call Timothy and Mora to stand before him. And if you are there to watch this, you will see Jesus coming down off of that throne with a crown of life in his hands for each of them. And he will look at them with a smile and he will reach up one by one and he will place that crown on their heads and they will hear from his lips, well done, good and faithful servant. You trusted me even to death. You loved me more than life. And throughout eternity, Timothy and Mora will join with the angels 
And they will over and over and over and over, whenever the heavenly choir begins to sing, they will take their crowns and they will gladly cast them down at the feet of the one on the throne who is infinitely more honorable than them, who is infinitely more glorious than them. And they will proclaim their honor of their Lord and God, Jesus Christ. See, the more rewards you have, the more honor you will be able to give. So, brother and sister, are you being tested by temptation? Are you in the middle of a trial? Are you undergoing or will you undergo persecution for your faith? Listen to the word of God. Be faithful. Remain steadfast. Stand the test. Love Jesus more than your own comfort, more than your own life. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is the crown of life. And one day Jesus will give it to you and you will be able to cast it at his feet in great honor for eternity. There only remains one more thing to hear. Where will you be standing on the great day of judgment? Will you be gathered to the left or you will be gathered to the right? That will determine your eternal destiny. Because books will be opened and Jesus will speak to those on the left one by one And he will bring them up publicly. And that book and those books that are open are books about everything they did and said in their life. And because their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, he will judge them according to their works. And their works will damn them. And they will be put into eternity in hell. Or do you believe in Jesus? Is he your Lord and your God? Have you come to him? Have you given up on your works? Have you given up on the, the effort to please him by doing good things? And have you said to him, Jesus, I know I deserve hell, but I know that you love me, and I know that you died on that cross to forgive me of my sins, and I am giving you my life. You are not only my Savior who has saved me, you are my Lord to whom I will lay down my crowns. And therefore, this life is not mine. This life belongs to you. If that is you, you will hear him call you to his throne, and he will reward you for your faithful life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clarity of the word of God, for the power of the word of God. Lord, thank you that you have given to us hope. Father, that we can be saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and that is the only way that we can be saved. Father, thank you for sending your Son, that whoever would believe in him, whoever would understand why he came and and center your life, your faith on him, professing him as Lord and Savior, that person will be saved. 
And there will be a day when they are gathered to the right and a day when they are brought before the throne. And that will not be a day to determine their destiny. That will be a day to determine their rewards. Father, I pray for everybody listening to this message that they will have put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And if not, that today would be the day that they do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.